Weren't expecting to see me so soon again, were you? <laughs> Here I am. Hello. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to jump straight in because um, every time I think that I'm not going to take very long, it takes long. So I'm not going to waste any time. And you know what? I was um, speaking to someone before in the break and I was saying how the Lord was very clear in a specific phrase that he wanted me to use today but it, and I wasn't quite sure. I was like, oh, I mean, it sounds very Christina-ish, but I wasn't sure. And then Todd gets up today and he's like, bang, 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 bang. And I'm like, that's okay. So basically what the Lord said to me yesterday, like, so like, you know, um, I had my word all sorted. And he said to me, he said, make sure you tell him time is running out. Time is running out. Time is running out. And I'm going to give you some context around that. So don't worry and be like, what's happening? Where's it coming from? Um, so actually Todd's word today marries in very nicely with mine. So there you go. I feel better for saying that, okay? All right. <laughs> All right. Um, so when he said this to me, so my, my word is a mixture of the things that I've been camping on for a long time. Not because, you know, I don't read any other books of the Bible, but because it's the word of the Lord, it carries a theme. And, and it, you know, um, and when you put them all together, all of the words that come out of this house, they all bring a greater picture. So um, specifically what he wanted me to speak today was I wanted to bring a paradigm shift into something very specific. So this whole preach is about a paradigm shift, but I'm going to lay down the framework leading up to that paradigm shift. So time is running out. What's he talking about? You know, whether we understand it or not, you know, time will go on. Promises will manifest or they won't. Breakthrough will happen or they won't. Healing will happen or it won't. That's the reality. Okay? I'll say that again. Breakthrough will happen or it won't. Healing will happen or it won't. Promises will manifest or they won't. That's the reality. Now, you might say that's not very encouraging. Actually, it's extremely encouraging, depending on the way that you choose to look at it. And I think that's the thing that isn't spoken about so much. And that is that Todd pretty much said the same thing, but in a very different way. Perspective is everything. And perspective will require something of you to see it from a different way, to actually hold and, 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 and see that. And that will require paradigm shift. So if you need to engage some sort of childlikeness, you know, throughout what I'm sharing today, because that's how I got the word. I've gotten up here and I've cried the last two times that I've preached. Don't worry, I'm not going to cry today. I've done enough of that recently. Um, and because there is a deconstruction process that is happening. And that is what makes the shift between something happening or not. It's a deconstruction process. It is a yielding. That, that's what I'm talking about. So I talked about, a couple of weeks ago, I, was, I, was, I preached about survival. How many people were here for that? Yep? Okay. All right. Now, and, I, and in that, I was talking about how sometimes we get frustrated because a lot of the things that we hear, I mean, unless, you know, you're very different to me, but um, over the years, unless everything that you hear being preached from up here is your truth, it can be very frustrating. 
And I said in that preach that frustration is actually a good thing because it actually should spur us on to some sort of reality check in our worlds. Because we know that the problem's never the Lord's. We know that the problem's always on our end. So frustration is actually a good thing. When it becomes a problem is when we see it through a lens of discouragement. And that preaches to us. It preaches deficit to us. And then we go into disassociation. But having, it's like math, right? I I was never very good at math at school. I, I, you know, they lied. They said, it's not like you're going to have a calculator everywhere you go. That was a big fat lie. So I know what I need to know when it comes to math, right? My phone does the rest. But if you see it as my healing won't happen, or it might, knowing that I'm the only one empowered to bridge that gap, not some mysterious external factor. And if it is something that you know, is in a blind spot for you, there's always discovery, right? Nothing can ever really be withheld from you. So anyway, back to my preach. Um, So I said that I wanted to um, bring a paradigm shift, and the paradigm shift is actually designed to help us change the way we see God and ourselves. So because one will affect the other. The way you see God is actually the way that you see yourself. We've always heard people say, the way that you see your natural father is the way that you see God. Yeah, that's that's, that's an angle. But the way you see yourself is the way that you, you see God, and the way that you see God is the way you see... Now, I'm, I'm going to say straight off the bat that I have been tested on every word that I've ever preached. I want you to know that, if that brings comfort to anyone in this room. I have been tested on every word that I've preached, but testing is a good thing, because you'll either pass a test or you won't. It's up to you. <laughs> That's how I choose to see it anyway. So um, going back, I'm leading up to my paradigm shift, but... Um, Coming into that, because you can only change the way you, your perspective on something it comes down to the heart. And you know, every time I have a microphone in my hand, I'm going to talk about the heart somewhere. So it always comes down to the heart. And so we need to understand how the heart works. And specifically, because it's a massive conversation, specifically today, I'm just going to focus on what I felt um, him breathe on. And that was understanding the heart of stone and how the heart of stone, how, how was it created? How does it work? Um, because, you know, it says in the word, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So as, as you think in your heart, so are you. It doesn't matter what you think in your head. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And the heart is a subconscious mind. So it's not, there's always a, some sort of, you know, disconnect between what we actually really think and what we think up here. And we know, so I'm just going to lay down some plumb lines here, all right? So we know that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So that's why we're going straight for the engine room, straight for the jugular. And anything that we do outside of his way, his plumb line is deception, okay? We agree that there is no wiggle room in that. Okay, good. All right. Now, when you, deception produces, one of the fruits of deception or being in your own ways is a hardening of heart. So you don't have to associate that just with a pharaoh. That's a bit extreme. But anywhere where you choose to remain in your own ways, what is good in your own eyes, leaning on your own understanding will produce a hardening of heart and vice versa. So one will produce the other. 
Is that me? Is that my phone? No? Okay, good. All right. Okay. So how do we know that that's what hardens our heart? Can you please put up Ezekiel 36, 26? I have quoted the scripture so many times. Okay. This is the Lord speaking, saying, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The word stone there doesn't just mean rock. It means to build. Okay? It means to build. So the more we build in our own ways, we will begin, well, eventually a trajectory unto death. But the more we build in our own ways and lean on our understanding, we are beginning and maintaining a process of a hardening of heart. And we know that the spirit world is like leaven, the kingdom of darkness is like leaven, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, your inner world is leaven. Like, can, can, is, is, it grows like leaven. So whatever, nothing remains static, right? So if there, if there is a part of our worlds that, that have become hardened, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack what hardening actually is and what it means, but it's actually going to affect have a follow-on effect to other areas of your world. You can't isolate things of the heart. Okay. So going back to what I said before, when we don't know what to do with a frustration, when we don't know what to do with the, with the gap of, this is, this, is, this is a truth, that's not my truth, what, what's, what's, what's in between? When we don't know what to do with that frustration or that disappointment, very quickly leads to the heart growing sick and it causes us to build in a particular way, okay? Now, the hardening of the heart, the, the concept or the way that I want to unpack it, the Hebrew term for that is probably not even how you pronounce it, is korbad, korbade. And that is describing something that the heart experiences. So it's not a thing. It's describing something that your heart experiences, it's used in many other contexts, which I'm going to go through just to give you a broader, you know, understanding on it. But so another way to explain corbad, corbade for the heart is like saying your conscience is being seared. So corbad, corbade actually means to be burdensome, to weigh heavy. Okay? It has both good and bad um, connotations, which I'll go through. So... I said before that Corbad Corbaid is, is describing a burdening of the heart. Oh, uh, yep, everyone's good? A hardening of the heart. So it's a burden. So I'm going to name some of the things that are burdens that may make it more relevant for, for us. Pain is a burden. Confusion's a burden. Sin's a burden. Disappointment's a burden. Accusation's a burden. So what I mean is this. When you do something wrong... And you can't, like, you feel really convicted. You feel the weight of that. And then you either come clean and you process that out and you, you know, you, you bring that before the Lord or you just disassociate from it because the heart doesn't like feeling the pee under the mattress. Does anyone not know this story? It's going to be really awkward, right? So the heart doesn't like this because um, the heart is, is programmed to avoid all discomfort. That's just how the heart works. So when there is something that doesn't make sense or there's something that is, is, is weighing heavy on it, if it's not processed and it's not, and, and it's not brought up against truth, then the heart has to make sense of it or the heart has to disassociate. And that starts a desensitizing. Desensitizing, is that English? Yep, very good. Um, <laughs> thank you for always sitting there. <laughs> it, it starts like, like this, this process, right? Which is why people go into deeper and deeper sin, because they grow less sensitive to it. 
right? Okay, so I said that there were other examples um, in different contexts how that word corbade, corbed, or corbed, corbade is used in the word. So I'm just going to quickly just run through them. There's like, I'm only going to use four. So that word there is the word used to describe the nature of sin in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now that was quite heavy because he brought down fire and brimstone from heaven. Okay, so corbed, corbade is describing the nature of sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. So rebellion, sin. It also was the word used to describe the dimness of Isaac's eyes when he was tricked by Jacob. Okay, so it looks like confusion. It's also the word used to describe the the burden laid on the Hebrews by Pharaoh. So pain and torment. It's also the word used to describe, um, in the book of Nehemiah, it's used to describe where where, where you you are chargeable, a place where accusation can land. So a spirit of accusation can follow you. Now, so what's the problem? Why is this a problem? I mean, apart from, you know, confusion, pain, torment, suffering, sin, and accusation, it's actually the thing that keeps us from ascending because it's a hardening of the heart. And can you put up, I'll just go straight into it. Can you put up, um, you guys know this one very well, Psalm 24.4. He who was clean... Oh, okay. Did I give you the one before that? I've only gone straight to the one that I want. Okay, so basically it's talking about here, like who, is the, who can ascend the holy hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Now, the, I know you guys have had this, you know, so many times up on the projector. The word pure there also means empty. means light. So if you... Uh, frustrated because you keep hearing about this, you know, remain, abide, dwell in the secret place and ascension, and you're not sure where to start. If there is a hardening of heart by any one of the things that I'm going to continue to talk about, this will affect our ability to ascend. Also, what it means is that if we are stuck in a pit, it's going to keep us weighed down and anchored. And this was not planned. As I was writing this out, the Lord gave me the next scripture, which is Psalm 139, 8. And it says, If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, or Sheol, you are there. So we see there that both of those things are determined by the condition of your heart. Now, I got stuck here because he was speaking to me about burying things in him laying things to rest. And I'm going to make this really, really quick. So if I make my bed in hell, you are there. What does that even mean? None of us choose to go set up camp in hell. But it's saying where we choose, because the word there in in the original Hebrew means to where where you spread out, where where, where you make that your, your place. So if it's not a choice then it's a condition determined by the state of our hearts, which ultimately is a choice. But let's back engineer that a little bit. And he said to me, he said, when you harden your heart, being in your own ways, leaning on your own understanding, developing your own defense mechanisms, protective mechanisms, you're hardening your heart. That's a form of hardening your heart, 
right? Because the heart can't actually cope with the weight, the burden of having to be all of those things. And I had an encounter recently where I saw him. I said to him, I said, I, I don't, like, you know, just, just, just show me. Just show me what it is I need to know. And I saw him reach into my chest, pull out my heart, and I saw him bury it in a shallow grave in my secret place. But it didn't feel bad. And I'm watching him do this. And I, I said to him, I said, do I, am I going to get one now? Like, am I going to get a heart back? Like, you've literally just taken my heart out of my chest and you've buried it. Now, before I jump ahead of myself, as he, so he was holding my heart and he buried it in this little shallow grave and he you know, put the dirt over it. And then he said to me, he goes, this is buried in me. When we see, see, the, 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 what I'm coming to, is the paradigm shift that I'm coming to is we fall into this crazy deception where we separate the Lord from any part of our world. And when we think that he's healed us or, or we, we know that he's healed us of something, or, you know, there's things that we've had to let go or sacrifice. We think that we still see that as loss, but it's all in Him. Everything that we've laid down for His sake, or even for swapping out a life or the truth, that's all in Him. That rests in Him. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, decomposes, completely deconstructs, has no form of self left, it won't sprout forth. So everything remains in him. And then I, I realise, oh my gosh, it, it, doesn't matter. it doesn't matter what I give up. It doesn't matter. There's, it's not something that is just I now disassociate from because I'm healed from it. It's in you. And then when I said, what about, okay, so am I going to have something back now? Like you've just ripped my heart out of my chest type thing. And I saw him spin around, it was the most bizarre thing, I saw him spin around in what, I don't know where he got it from, there was some sort of sheet. I saw him spin around like Batman with a cape and he went like this and he landed in my heart and he said, I want to make my bed with you. Now, if that's triggering you, hear it for, for what it is. He wants to make his bed with us in our hearts. He doesn't want us to separate any part of our world. He wants to remain, abide, and dwell in a place that we are aware that we are actually, that's a two-way thing. That's a two-fold reality. The condition of our heart determines where we make our bed. Now, with hardening your heart, there are many ways that that happens, but that's not what I want to focus on today. I want to talk about what it looks like to come away from that. Because like I said, you don't have to be a pharaoh to have your hardened heart. And the solution seems really obvious. It's simple. It's repentance, right? But I think that we've become way too familiar with repentance, and Todd said the exact same thing this morning. So we become way too familiar with repentance. Time is actually running out. And we will reap where we have made our beds. Things will happen or they won't. It's that simple. 
Things will happen in, in life or they just won't, depending on how we choose to posture ourselves, what we choose to lay a hold of. Let me tell you, I've been tested on this word. It's, 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 this is a spiritual reality. And one of the things, because and, and, I think, like I said, we've become very familiar with the term repentance, but one of the things that I've you know, uh, not only experienced but I felt like he wanted me to talk about today was a deconstruction process, which you guys have witnessed, in, in me personally. Well, I hope you have. I asked Nick all the time, I said, have you noticed I've been a better person? And he takes too long and says, answer quicker. <laughs> and I'm like, never mind, I'll ask you, I'll ask you again tomorrow. I've actually done that to him a few times. All right. So a deconstruction process, and, and I want to bring it, well, not me, what the Lord wanted me to focus on was something, you know, we, we, circumcision of the heart. I didn't fully understand what that meant until after my Amazon trip. But can you put up uh, Deuteronomy? Yep, thank you. So, therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Okay, what does that even mean? Well, the word circumcising in the original Hebrew means two or three things. I'm going to run through them quickly. It means to blunt. So in the context of what I'm talking about and, and heart and posture and, and belief systems and operating systems, value systems, it means to blunt. So basically it means to yield all of our understanding, everything we build in our own way, in our own ability, including our intellect, to bring something down, to reduce something to something that we don't profess in our own ways our sense of self. That includes ego. Ego is a sense of self. And I said this last time, it's okay to be wounded. It's okay to, be, to feel hurt, but it's when it produces offense that it's come up against a construct that we have defined ourselves. The other word that's that word circumcised means in the Hebrew means to destroy. So basically, leave nothing as a liability in, your, in that area of your heart. You know, he said the same thing to the Israelites. I didn't, like, I wasn't going to go into it, so I don't have the scripture references here, but there was one specific time when they came into the promised land where he gave them a specific instruction and he said, take out all of the enemy, every, everything, every, every last person, and they didn't. And it cost them later. It bit them on the bum. So to, to blunt and to destroy, leave nothing as a liability in that area of your world. And it also means to cut down. And that word circumcised in the context of cutting down is used, I didn't give it to you, so don't worry about putting it up, is used in Psalm 90 to describe something that's insignificant and temporary. It's actually used to describe blades of grass. So basically there, we are encouraged that anything that we, to, to cut down, to treat as temporary and insignificant anything that we build in our own ways and in our own understanding. He's asking us to, to do that, as temporary and insignificant as a blade of grass might be. Because that's what building in our own ways is. Now, where we make our bed is what we partake of. It's kind of like the same thing as saying the fruit, whichever, whichever tree you partake of, tree of life, tree of knowledge, it's the same thing. Where you make your bed is where you will partake. And when you partake of where you've made your bed, you process the seeds and the seeds then reproduce in their own kind. And that is what produces cycles. 
These are the things that we say we want breakthrough from. And a place where that is very evident is in the area of family. Now, I've been going on about family for the last three or four months, and the reason why is because it is where we form our identities. Family. Well, that's where we begin to inform. inform. Wouldn't that be nice? It's where we begin to form our identities. So here comes a paradigm shift. This is, this is where... Um, this is where we're going. So I'm just going to lay down just a couple of givens. So we get our identity from family, yeah? We all agree we get our identity from family. And some of us have gone through traumatic childhoods, some more than others. And trauma doesn't have to look like outright abuse and assault and violence. Trauma can be as simple as boredom. That's a form of trauma. Loneliness is, is a form of trauma. So we're not here to rate people's brokenness up against the reality of their childhoods. It doesn't matter. We're looking at the perspective of the heart. This is about a paradigm shift, and the only party that matters when it comes to paradigm shift is the heart. So according to your heart, regardless of what the reality was, how much was perception, how much was fact, it doesn't matter. It's whatever you experienced, especially in those formative years, is what forms your identity. Okay? Now, so a lot of trauma and wounding comes from um, our childhoods. Now, I I, I say this a lot when I teach um, in the school, but I'm going to say it here again. Even if, because this, the, the family wound, the, fam, the, the whole identity thing around family and parent, parent wound is a huge deal. And, and people get stuck on it because they, they, if, if there's a clear injustice, it keeps us on this, on, the, on this trajectory of, no, 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 but you don't understand that there was a clear injustice and it looked like this and it, and it actually felt like something. Right? So I, I want to I bring something in here. If Jesus was to raise a child right, here on earth, that child would still grow up with levels of perception issues, wounding, because it says in the word that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness is part of a child's hard drive. What that means is it's not something you break off. It's not something you cast out. It is not something that you sever. It is something that you allow an unraveling process. It's bound up in the heart of a child. It is a child's prerogative to be foolish. That's what the word says. So it is our job to provide an environment, healthy, strong boundaries that allows the unraveling process. Yeah, they may hit the sides here and there, but it doesn't matter. This it doesn't move. This doesn't shift. So someone as perfect as Jesus would have been as a man on the earth, that child would grow up with some perception issues. Because even when you lay a rule out for a child and you say, do you understand that? See this thing here? This thing here. If you do something wrong with this, if you, if you don't look after this, if you use this to hit your sister over the head, I'm going to take it away. Do you understand? Yes. Can you repeat it back to me? If I use it to hit my sister over the head, you're going to take it away. Okay. Now, so what's going to happen? You're going to take it away. How? If I hit my sister. Okay, good. Five minutes later, you know what's going to happen. They're going to hit the sister over the head. You take it away. And the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, it's not fair. That's foolishness bound up in a child's heart. Okay? 
So regardless of how we were raised, we, we, we don't need the ins and outs. We don't need the specifics to completely adopt this paradigm shift is what, what I'm trying to say to you. Perspective makes all the difference. Okay. Now, where I was going with a paradigm shift is this. This is what he said to me one day. When we need to get healed of something, when it comes to inner healing, we go to the, well, we should be going to the only true source of healing, and that is the Lord, right? We go to the Lord. And the idea is to shift out or to replace a lie with the truth. Makes sense up here. But to the subconscious mind, to the heart, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes it feels like God is the consolation prize. Your parents let you down. Your dad was super absent. That's okay. Let God be. Let God be your father. You, you know, you were, your, your mum was negligent. That's okay. The Holy Spirit is super nurturing. These are all truth. These, this is, the Lord is and always was and will always be everything in our worlds. But we, if we, the paradigm shift is we can't see him as a consolation prize because that's what produces the orphan mindset. We have to see that he always was our origin. We have to see that, that he always was the portion. We were fostered out to our biological families. Sometimes broken people do broken things, but their brokenness doesn't define us. The Lord defines us. So rather than see it as, oh, I'm going to go to God and get... It becomes so cliche. So the paradigm shift is that we don't see God as a consolation prize. We're just returning back to the only one that could ever define us. Does that make sense? Because this is not the part that you're struggling with. It's this part here. This, 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 is what took, this is why people, including myself, this is why getting healed of a parent wound or a family wound can take so flipping long sometimes. Because you're trying to squash information down to your heart and your heart is, or you know what your heart's doing? Your heart is thinking or magnifying a compounding injustice of, but these are the people that are supposed to love me unconditionally. So rather than just getting healed of the injustice and seeing what it was and giving to the Lord what is the Lord's, we're actually going down different, we're actually attaching peripheral things because of, our, of what our idea of family is. God loves family. If family is his design. I'm just going to lay that down right there. The Lord loves family. That's why he's designed it the way that it is. He loves family. It was always his design. That's how the kingdom operates. But broken people do broken things. And if we are looking to our natural families or whatever, whatever we define as family, if we're looking to that to, to form our identities, it's going to make the healing process longer. We can't see that God is the consolation prize. He is not the consolation prize. He was always our reward. There was a temporary situation and if there were genuine injustices where we were failed, that's legitimate and that's the thing that the Lord wants us to bring to him, to bury in him, to make our bed with him and in him. But that's what produces 
the orphan mindset. I was rejected by family, but God accepts me. That's not, that's, God doesn't accept you. God became very violent and extreme to get back what was always his. Seeing it as, oh, God, but God accepts me, that's an orphan mentality. I told you, I'm being tested on my own word. We have to see that we are a walking manifestation of God's heart on the earth. You're not a walking manifestation of your parents' DNA together, and then you, somewhere down the line you found the Lord, and you're a new creation. That's not how it works. You came from the Father's heart. You were formed in the deep innermost chambers of his heart. I'm going to share a really, really quick vision that I had. Like, I'm, I'm going to like, like two seconds. Um, years ago, when I was quite, you know, I, I came into FOD very broken and um, I, I, I literally had nothing left. And so I spent a lot of my time in the secret place. When I learned how to use the secret place, you couldn't get me out of there. I, that, that's, that's where I just spent a lot of my time when I could. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't always just about my healing. He would share secrets of the universe with me. And it's not just me, he does it with everyone, right? And one of the things that he showed me, I didn't ask for this, one of the things that he showed me was um, I just found myself in this room and it was so, uh, the, the ceilings were so high, I couldn't see them. The room was full of light. There, was, there were closed scrolls everywhere and I knew that they, were, they belonged to people who hadn't engaged their scrolls yet. And then there was this big, beautiful, it looked like white marble. It's the closest thing I can describe it as. Big, beautiful white marble table. And on it was a massive piece of paper. Well, I thought it was paper. And the paper was so fresh that there were no kinks. Like if I lay that on a flat surface, that's not completely plumb, right? I'm talking about paper that was so fresh and so perfectly rectified edges, like super brand new, completely hot off the press kind of thing. Then I realised I was in the scroll room and I realised that this is where the Lord writes scrolls. Now, I'm sure it's not exactly like this, but this is how God speaks. Parables is one of his languages, okay? This is a parable that he showed me. And I realised, well, if I'm here, I'm allowed, I'm, I can ask questions. And I said to him, can I watch? That, that looks like a fresh scroll. That's got nothing written on it yet. I said, can I watch how you write scrolls? And before I even finished asking the question, a massive heart hovered over the, over the table, over the page. A massive heart. And then all of a sudden, it split down the middle and the contents of the heart poured out over the page. And as I was watching the contents rush out, like just, just like flowing down and hitting the page, it was like the information was like a zip file and it was like I could see directly into that person's world. I could see like what they'd be good at, like what they liked, you know, even, I think I even saw like a, like a, like a, like a, like a country, like it was just like where, where they would live. Like bang, 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 bang. And all I could, and the, 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 he didn't say anything, but the substance of watching this take place, the substance that, that was, you know, like tattooed onto my heart was, there is so much to do. There is so much to do because you're, you are a walking manifestation of his desire and his plans on the earth. That, that's what we are. But we have this orphan mentality that, you know, we get healed, we get saved, and, and, and if the conditions are right and the stars align with the moon and the, and the sun, and, and if it's right, well, then maybe, um, then maybe I'm good enough. I, I'm being tested on my own word. I, just, I don't know how many times I have to say that. Okay? But this is the orphan 
mentality. And I used to think that orphan was the same as slave. It's actually not. Orphan produces slave. And I'm going to explain why. So before I do, let me, let me just like repeat a couple of things in summary. We were fostered to our biological families and it wasn't by accident he chose your biological family. He chose it. Nothing about us is an accident. But when in any area we've had to get healing from the Lord due to family wounds, he's not a consolation prize. You know, he said to me one day, because I minister to a lot of people, and in doing that, I get ministered to because I get to see facets of him that you, you know, there's only so much you can see through your own journey. But I, I have the privilege of like seeing him minister to people. And one day he said to me, he said, you know, I'm a father. So for all you dads out there, he said, I'm a father, but I'm also a man of war. That's a deadly combination. So he's a father, but he's also a man of war. And he demonstrated that at the cross. He pulled a manoeuvre that couldn't be trumped. So going back to the orphan-slave thing, we actually don't have the right to define ourselves outside of him. You actually, we actually don't have the right to define any part of our being outside of him because we come from him, remember? He, he, didn't, he didn't just go, oh, yes, I run, I run a, a human rescue centre. Just, oh, yeah, here's another one. We've got another one, Marge. We've got another one. It, it doesn't work like that. He's written his name on us. We belong to him. So where we have a sense of self outside of what he says, that's deception. That keeps us on demonic trading floors and it keeps us in our own ways. And if we stay there, it produces a hardening of the heart, which affects our ability to ascend or keeps us in the pit because we're weighed down. It's a burden, okay? So... Going back to that, we don't have any right to define who we are because the Lord defines who we are. Now, that's why we come under accusation because the enemy knows who we are. If you're being tormented by accusation, you've got to ask yourself, what does he know that I don't? So that's why the enemy constantly goes before God accusing us day and night because he knows who we are and he knows that as soon as we begin to define ourselves outside of what he says, there's a legal right. Jesus was very direct about it. Can you put up Mark 12? Yep. So this is where they were trying to trick him into, um, this is the Pharisees or Sadducees, I can never tell the difference. Um, they're, they're trying to trick him into like, you know, so what do you reckon about tax paying and stuff? So I'm just going to read it. So they're saying to him, shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing the hypocrisy, said to them, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. 
So they brought it. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. The enemy knows that scripture inside out. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. There are things that are going to be required of us in life that are just part of life. And sometimes it'll feel like work. Sometimes it'll feel like carving something out. But render to God what is God's. Now, how do we do that? Well, fear of the Lord. Because we have a perfect example of someone who understood render to God's what is God's. We have, we have the perfect example of someone who never had identity issues. So can we, um, you know, Jesus never, he never saw himself separate from the Father in any area of his life. So can we put up um, the Isaiah, yep, 11, yep. So just really quickly, he's talking about Jesus, now prophesying about Jesus. Um, and then we've just been introduced to the sevenfold spirit. And it says here, His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. So basically, he gave up, he gave up his, any, any ability to do or make decisions or preempt anything according to what he saw when he was alive on the earth or what he heard. So he didn't take anything in the natural as, as a factor to create his own plumb line. He, didn't, he never saw himself separate from the Father. You know, even, in, even under pressure, even in trials, when he was in the wilderness, so Jesus still had to be tested, okay? He went through that, the, the, well, tempted, tested, whatever, you know. He, he went through the wilderness experience. And we know that it was his identity that the enemy was trying to, to, um, to, to hook into, and Jesus would have been, we don't know, I mean, I don't, I don't know what time of year it was. Was it hot? Was it cold? Was he tired? What day? You know, it, it, whatever. But we know that he was super hungry, okay? So he's in the wilderness and the enemy comes and he hooks into half-truths, which is what, the reason why the devil is the best lawyer in the world is because he will present something as a half-truth. So it's plausible. Then you begin to gaslight yourself and then you're not sure, Right? And every single time the enemy came at him, every single time Jesus opened his mouth, the only thing that came out of his mouth was pure scripture. He never once brought his sense of self into it. He didn't sit there and go, well, yeah, that's true. And I know because my mum used to say that, but, but you know, yeah, but actually he was like, bang, 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 bang. That's why the enemy never came back on the same thing twice. He never once separated himself. He didn't have a sense of self outside of the Father. It was pure scripture. He passed. It was a test on his identity and he passed with flying colours. Now let's compare that to another wilderness experience. Let's go to the Israelites in the desert. Jesus did it in 40 days. They did it in 40. Well, they didn't do it in 40 years. It took 40 years for God to flush out everything that was unbelief and rebellion. They complained every single time they were under pressure. I've, I've preached on the, the, the Exodus so many times. I'm not going to go into it. But the, every single time they came under pressure, they were suffering. They were hot, cold, hungry, wet, dry. I don't know. Their hearts were revealed. 
They, they complained, they whinged, they cursed God, whatever. And judgment cycles, just cycles after cycles, right? Whereas when Jesus was under pressure, what came out was plumb line. He never took the responsibility of the test to navigate it in his own ways and his own understanding. There was no evidence of the tree of knowledge there. So pain, pressure, testing, all of those things will reveal what's in our hearts. You know what else reveals what's in our hearts? Blessings. Blessings reveal what's in our hearts. There are so many biblical examples that I could use, but I'm, only, I'm, going, to, I'm going to land on this. Um, I, I just want to demonstrate that concept um, in, one, in what I feel like the Lord wanted me to do. So I'll say that again. So we, we, we've become familiar and accept that where there are trials and testing and pressure and pain and disappointment and betrayal and wounding, that's what reveals what's in our heart. But blessings also reveal what's in our heart. Specifically, the orphan in us. In Genesis 50, we, um, we learn about how uh, Israel or Jacob, he dies. And Joseph, you know, so, so we know now that they're living in, in Egypt now, right? I'm assuming that we all know that Joseph made the way and then his family, they were rescued from famine and they came into Egypt. Um, and so in, in Genesis 50, uh, Jacob dies. And it's, it's a massive deal. And Pharaoh's house is involved in the process where he lets um, Joseph go out into the, out, I don't know, to the desert somewhere and it becomes like a seven-day mourning process. And when they came back, like it was huge. People from Pharaoh's household went, all of the 12, uh, uh, 12 sons and their families, everyone, everyone went. When they came back, um, Jacob's brothers... No, Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers went into instant fear. And they were worried that Joseph was going to finally take out his revenge on them. Because remember, his brothers betrayed him, and that's how he ended up in Egypt. So they've just buried their father. Mind you, at this point, they had been living in Egypt for 17 years in crazy blessings. They came into Egypt as refugees. They were starving. They came into Egypt like this. They went straight to the top of the socioeconomic tree. They became part of the elite in, in Egypt. They actually were employed by Pharaoh. They were given choice land. They went straight to the top of the tree. They came in as refugees and were instantly brought to the top. 17 years, they lived in crazy peace and crazy blessing. And as soon as their false refuge, as soon as what they formed their identity around, as soon as their father dies, they go into crazy fear. The blessings carried no witness for them. They went straight into fear and they went to Joseph they sent word out before them and they were like, well, remember your promise to our father and remember that, you know, basically arguing their case of, of something that had been settled a very long time ago. He had showed them nothing but kindness. They were living like kings. So there are, there are a few things we can take from that. If we don't deal with things in our world, specifically shame, because they would have, they would have carried shame for what they did. If we don't... There are many things. You can fill this blank with whatever you want, but specifically shame. 
Because shame is one of those things where it's a half-truth because it's connected to something that you've done, right? So if, if you're struggling with shame in an area, you will constantly delegitimize blessing. You'll orphan yourself, you'll disinherit yourself because you will put your value in a false refuge. Something that you understand, something that you control. But blessing is something that we don't understand. Blessing is something we can't control. Blessing is, it doesn't make any sense. So I said before, and Jacob actually before he died, he gave each and every one, on his deathbed I think it was, he gave each and every one of his sons a crazy prophetic word. He spoke directly into their identities, but that didn't, that didn't even come into their mind as soon as he died. They went into, straight into fear. We do the same thing. Somebody said to me recently, and I'm not going to go into it because I'm not going to cry. Somebody said to me recently, either he's good or he isn't. So if his goodness is only dependent on our feels, if his goodness is only dependent on whether, whether our day's going according to plan, either his goodness um, is only goodness because our, our value systems create a tick box, re- tick box reality, and, and unless they're fulfilled, God's character is constantly scrutinised and brought under judgment according to our own eyes. That is what the orphan does. I've, I've done that. Either he's good or he isn't. Either we will land our promises or we won't. Orphan doesn't mean the same thing as slave. We don't start the same. Orphan produces slave. They were orphans. They became slaves. Render to God what is God. So when he pulled them out of Egypt, I've said this before a few times, when he pulled them out of Egypt... He wasn't rescuing them. God doesn't rescue. A rescue is, is language of um, victim, of, of orphan. He reinstated them to their original design. He moved heaven and earth, literally moved the ocean, to bring his people out who were called by his name, not their consolation prize. He brought them out of Egypt to reinstate them to their their true positions as sons. And, we, and throughout that entire Exodus experience, you hear so many times the promises that God made to Abraham referenced. As you promised our forefathers, as you know, you promised the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, he didn't do it for Abraham's sake. I believe, this is my opinion, I'm not teaching this as, you know, as a fact, but this is my opinion. I believe that that too possibly could have reinforced a, a we're being rescued and on behalf of the promises just to Abraham. You know why Abraham's name was referenced so much? Because he was a friend of God and he got the word. He got the word. There could have been any name there, but he chose the hard ground. He chose the hard territory. He chose to pioneer. He, was, he became a friend of God. He got the word, same as Moses. They, they couldn't function without Moses because he, he chose the hard ground, he chose to be a friend of God and he got the word. That's why we always reference it as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, as, 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 as he promised our forefathers, but he's also promising us. So, 
yes, it was a fulfillment to the promise to Abraham. I'm not saying that. But it was always the plan. It was always the plan. So the paradigm shift when I said that we can't see God as a consolation prize to when we have to swap out a, a lie that we've inherited through, through family or whatever, wherever we've formed our identity or how, whatever it is. The paradigm shift also includes that we were always part of the plan. So what I want to do is something a little bit different to what I normally do is I want to I want to show you with you I'm not going to put on a show for you I'm going to show you with you how it is or a way to trade out of orphan. Now, I'm not the first one that's shown you like Todd does this week in and week out. Um, but this is I want to show you a practical, another practical way that, that this is how I did it. And it's a very quick way to shift a frequency. Now, Todd has, again, this is, it's just, I'm just going to share how I did it. And I, and I want to do it with you guys. So just, can you stand? Thanks. And you can, yep. Yeah. Mm. And you can, um, like, I'm not going to lead you through a prayer. Because I think that there is something around choosing the hard ground and choosing to, to partner and take the Lord at face value. And that, that, that looks like something. So if you want to, you don't have to do this, if you want to, and you can take communion whenever you're ready, I'm just going to show you how it is that I traded out of this consolation prize mentality. Because I would go home so frustrated because I knew that what was being preached was the truth, but it wasn't my truth yet. And that's a very frustrating place to be. But it's a good thing. Frustration is a good thing, as long as we don't disassociate from it. So this is what I used to do. You know, Todd made us laugh the other day when he did his whole exalt the Lord our God. Were you guys here for that? Yeah, well, this is kind of similar. <laughs> this is how I started. I would choose. Well, actually, how I started, started back at FOD was, God, either you're real or you're not. All of my prayers, they didn't begin with our Father who art in heaven. It was, God, either you're real or you're not. That's how it started for me. But anyway, fast forward a few years. I want you to just, just close your eyes and just, I'm, I'm going to start, I'm just going to say two or three things. This is literally what, what, how I did it. And I want you to allow yourself to see how easy it is to choose the harder ground, but not do the heavy lifting. literally would just walk around I stopped praying for an entire season because my heart didn't believe the words that were coming out of my mouth so I had to create a paradigm shift of my heart and I literally walked around my lounge room just just engage engage I'm not putting on a show for anyone just engage um, I, and I would walk around and I would say 
I thank You that You are who You say You are. I thank You that You are who You say You are. And I thank You that I am who You say I am. I thank You that You are the rock of my salvation. I thank You that You are the beginning and the end, that You are the Alpha and the Omega. I thank You. And I will just begin, I will just begin to thank Him for the things that already are. I hadn't even gotten to my needs yet. And I would just begin, I would begin to, and then when I ran out of things to say because I couldn't remember Scriptures or, or what was written on the back of the, the coffee mug or whatever it was, when I ran out of things to say, I would just confess what it is my eyes saw. And I'd be looking out my window and I'd say, I thank You that You are in everything and there is nothing that exists outside of You. I thank You that You are so creative. I thank You that I get to enjoy the beauty of Your creation just by walking to the park. I thank You that there is nowhere I can go where You are not. I thank You that even if I make my bed in Sheol, You are there because You're good. Bang, 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 bang. So I, I'm, gonna, I'm going now to, I'm, gonna, I'm going to invite you to just, can you crank it up just so people aren't so self-conscious? I'm just going to invite you now to see what it is that comes up in our hearts that we can testify of His goodness. However it is that He's real to us, I thank You that You are the lily of the valley, whatever the heck that means. This is literally my life, okay? I'm not hiding anything. I thank You that You are my provider. I thank you that you do that your goodness is not limited to how I feel today. Thank God because then we'd all be screwed. Thank you that you are immovable. Thank you that everything under the sun is yours. I thank you that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Hear you. Just be just find whatever it is that comes up. I thank you. Just and even like because I don't have a full range, I would just stick on one thing. I thank you that you are the Father of lights, and everything that I think that is good or perfect, even those that I haven't even wrapped my head around yet that I can't even recognize, only comes from you. There is no perfection and no goodness outside of you. And I thank you that the promise attached to that is that there is no chance of you changing your mind or turning your back on me because in you there is no shadow or variation of turning. That scripture got me through months. I thank you that you are the secret place and that you allow me to remain, abide, and dwell. And it's not like a hotel where you really enjoy five star luxury, but then you're back to being a peasant in the burbs. I thank You that I get to remain, abide and dwell in the secret place and You cover me with Your wings. I thank You that You're so obsessed with me that You've never taken Your eyes off of me. Seriously, give Yourself permission to say something. I thank You that You are so obsessed with me that You've never ever taken Your eyes off of me. I thank You that it is impossible for You to lie. I thank You that You are not a man that You would lie. These Scriptures will walk you through dark seasons, but you've got to say them like they mean something and not keep reducing the Lord and His character to our understanding and what we see by our eyes. I thank You that You became a man first, that there is nothing that we go through that You don't already know.
and that you've not already provided solution for. That you are good and every single thing you've ever said is good. struggling with to even bring the utterance forth, that's where you start. That's a clue to where our heart is hardened. And it's not something to be ashamed about or to condemn. It's a place that He wants to start. So Father, I thank You right now that in this season, You are all about the circumcision of hearts. I thank You that You have said that if You would just circumcise Your heart, if You would make blunt your own abilities if you would if you would just cut down those things that are temporary and insignificant if you would just destroy those things that keep us separate from each other then I will be able to show myself strong for you I thank you that that has always been the plan I thank you for a grace there is an opportunity to create room in our hearts to receive the paradigm shift, the realignment, the recalibration of our inner world, that you are not a consolation prize. That you were, always, always were, and are and always will be the origin, the author, the plumb line of not only what we understand, but the mysteries that you're waiting to reveal to us. And we receive that now.